we are in a series called Superheroes and Sidekicks. And today we are turning our attention to perhaps the most popular biblical superhero other than Jesus, and that is David the Giant Slayer. And uh, there's so much text devoted in the Bible to David's life story, but what I want to begin to look at is the backstory to his rise to superhero status, that which is responsible for him being inducted into the Hall of Faith and becoming a giant of the faith. And so that backstory begins in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. If you have your Bible, that's where I'll be reading from, beginning in verse number 1. The scripture says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears it? He'll kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite J Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but lo the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has God chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now when we look at the life of Jesse, Jesse and his son David... David is an unlikely superhero. He's not somebody who comes from a great stock. He comes from an ordinary family. He's a regular person. He's a shepherd. He's overlooked. But I think this is why we love David, because David reminds us that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and that God can use the overlooked to become superheroes of the faith. And so I want to encourage you that if you feel like you might be overlooked, if you feel like God can't do anything great with your life, I want you to know that God specializes in bringing out the best in everyone. And God has an amazing plan to make you into a superhero of the faith. And so today, what I want to talk to you about is the making of a superhero. How do we become a superhero in the faith? And so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this message real and relevant to every single person? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. You may be seated. When I asked the question, 
how do we become a superhero in the faith? I want to kind of qualify it by saying I'm not suggesting that we should seek fame or, or rock star status because we know as Christians that the cry of each one of our hearts should be that we decrease, that Jesus might increase, that God can use our lives however he sees fit, however he wants to, that our lives are not our own, but that we have been bought with a price. And so therefore we glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits which belong to him. We as Christians should have a cry in our heart that says, here I am, God, use me, however you see fit, however you want to. My life, my story is here to be used for your glory. And so when I talk about becoming a superhero in the faith, I am simply talking about surrendering our lives to a place where God can use it, where God can, can, can write on our lives um, with the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so we're not talking about what it may seem like when we say superhero status. And so the question is how do we become a superhero of that nature in the faith and I want to share with you just two things today the first one may be simple but it's so important superheroes if you're ever going to be a superhero in the faith superheroes stay faithful superheroes stay faithful we see the story of, of David and David gets anointed to be Israel's next king we know how his father Jesse brings in seven of the boys and each boy is not the right one. Matter of fact, some scholars believe that the reason why um, Samuel knew that the boys, the seven first sons, were not the right one is because when he went to anoint them with the horn of oil, that the oil would not flow. And it wasn't until David came in that the oil began to flow. And what I love about that is it reminds us that when God has something for you in life, it doesn't really matter who gets there first. It doesn't matter who interviews first. It doesn't matter who's got the inside track. It doesn't matter who's got one up. It doesn't matter who has the connections. When God has something for you, God will hold that thing for you until you arrive. You don't have to try to work yourself in. You don't have to try to weasel yourself in. God will call you, and when God calls you, God will anoint you for your assignment. And so when David shows up, the horn of oil begins to empty. He is anointed for his assignment, which means that he is given supernatural ability to fulfill his divine purpose. And I want everybody to know that that same supernatural ability that came on David will come on you when you find your assignment. When you walk in your purpose, there will be an equipping from heaven that will enable you to do what you need to do. And so it's so important that we get in our lane because when we get in our lane, we are effective in our lane. And part of the reason why we are not effective in other areas of life is because we may not be in our lane. It's God's way of waking us up and saying, this isn't what I have for you because when you get in your place, there is that supernatural ability from heaven to do what God has equipped you to do. And so David gets anointed for his assignment, but as soon as he is anointed for his assignment to be Israel's next king, what I find interesting is that he goes back to the field to continue to, to tend sheep. And this is where David teaches us something so very important. If David was like most of us in the body of Christ, if we got anointed to be king and somebody told us, now you need to go back and tend sheep, most of us would say, ah, oh, 
I don't do that. I don't do sheep no more. Then you see what God did for me? God anointed me to be the king. Kings hang out in the palace. They chill there in the air condition. They don't go in the hot summer heat to tend the sheep anymore. I'm not doing that. But David understood that if he was faithful in the field, that he would be fit for the fight. David understood that if he was faithful when nobody was watching in obscurity, that God would promote him to a place of prominence. And here he teaches us the key to becoming a superhero in life, and that is being faithful over all of the little things that God has given you to manage in your life. And that goes with anything. We need to be faithful in our finances. We need to be faithful in our families. We need to be faithful on our job. We need to be faithful in our spiritual life. We need to be faithful in, in, in our physical life. We need to be faithful in every area of life because how we handle what God has entrusted to us when it seems insignificant and small is what determines whether or not we'll get promoted to a place of superhero status. And so David goes back into the field and watch what happens next scene, if you will. Verse number 14, the scripture says, the spirit of the Lord, while David was being faithful in the field, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player of the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and handsome in person. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Now, I don't know if you caught all that, but if I were to summarize that text in one principle, here would be the principle. Because David was faithful in the field, he got summoned to the palace. Not because he was a prayer warrior. Not because David spent all of his time reading his Bible. Thank God for being a prayer warrior. Thank God for being in the Word. That is the most important thing. But sometimes what causes you get to get summoned to the next place in life is you being faithful in the field to perfect the gifts that God has given you when nobody else is watching. Notice all the things that David was faithful over. He was skillful in playing. He was a mighty man of valor or character. He was a man of war. He was prudent in speech. He was handsome in person, and the Lord was with him. I want you to notice everything that went into David's promotion to, to the palace. There was a couple of things, some things we overlooked. First of all, notice that he was prudent in speech. How many of you know how you talk matters? Let me, let me get an amen from over here. How many of you know how you talk matters? You know, I know it's cool to, you know, talk hip and talk street and all of that kind of stuff. But I can tell you what, if all you ever do is talk hip and talk street, you'll eventually get to a place where opportunity will pass you right by. Because you got to be prudent in your speech. People want to know that they're talking to somebody who's got a little intellectual substance behind them. How many of you also know that he looked nice, David? That's what the Bible said. 
How many of you know not only is how you talk uh, important to your destiny, but how you appear is also important to your destiny? I know we like to use this verse as an excuse. Well, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but how come it makes a point to say that David was good looking? He was, he was well formed in appearance because sometimes you cannot walk into a place with your pants down to here. Sometimes you got to walk into a place with a suit on in order for an opportunity to open for you. Can I get an amen? I'm not saying you can't wear your saggy jeans. Go ahead and wear your saggy jeans. But saggy jeans don't belong everywhere. Certain environments call for a certain type of speech and a certain type of professionalism. And both of those were things that influenced what people saw in David. But here's the real thing. Do you know why David was called to the palace? He was called to the palace because he could play a mean harp. That's why he was called to the palace. They weren't looking for a guy who was a good prayer. Thank God he was a good prayer. They weren't looking for somebody who was constantly spending time with God. That was part of it, but that's not all they were looking for. They were looking for somebody who could play a mean harp. Faithfulness is not just being prepared. Faithfulness is not just being present. It is being prepared. Faithfulness is not just showing up. It's showing up with a level of skill. It's showing up with a level of excellence. And the reason why David was summoned to the palace is because he perfected his gift in the field so that it was excellent enough for God to use him in the palace. And the reason why a lot of believers are being overlooked to get prestigious positions is because they are not perfecting their gift and they are using the Holy Ghost as an excuse to be lazy. Hello? Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good right now. You get this from people all the time. Well, you know, yeah, yeah the Holy Ghost will just come upon me. You know, when I, I, he'll just, he'll just show. I don't have to work my gift. I don't have to get good at my gift. You need to be good at your gift because God expects you to be good at your gift. David was perfecting his gifts in the field. And being good, perfecting our gifts requires grinding at them long enough so that we can become good at them. It takes a grind in order to get good at a gift. You cannot just expect because God has made you good at something that all of a sudden it's just going to just, it's never going to, it's just going to be there when you need. You've got to work at that particular thing. Let me modernize the text for you. David was carrying around a harp, not a guitar. In other words, if you got a guitar, you know, it's pretty cool. they got these, these backpack things that you can put your guitar in now. And you see them in New York City. They carry them on the subway. And it's kind of cool. And it's in vogue. And, you know, it's easy to tote around. But how many of you know carrying a harp around, there ain't no easy way to do that. David had a grind in order to get gift, gifted at that thing. He had a grind. How many harp lessons did David have to go through? Everybody was probably making fun of him because I kind of see the harp as an accordion. Anybody know what an accordion is? My mom tried to get me to play the accordion when I was little. That's like nerd instrument number one right there. Like, you know, and I didn't know better when I was little, you know. My, I thought it was cool when I was, as soon as I got old enough to realize this is a nerd instrument, I was like, I ain't playing that thing no more. You know, the harp, like, you know, you got to lug that. I'm sorry to all you accordion players, by the way. <laughs> Lugging the harp around. 
But David was grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding at that. David was working that gift until it got good enough, until it became excellent enough for God to use him in the palace. You'll never get to the palace if you're not proficient, if you're not excellent at certain things. We got to get to a place where we realize that there's a spirit and a standard of excellence that God always expects in every arena of life. And when you are excellent, it paves the way for you. Your gift, the Bible says, will make room for you and bring you before kings. But what if your gift is not excellent? What if it's not excellent, not because God didn't give it to you, but because you haven't taken the time to work your gift? You have to work your gift. Here, when we work our gift in the field, David was probably doing this. He's probably wondering, you know, well, I've been anointed king, and I know when God's going to call me to the palace, and, you know, it's been a long time now. Do you know while he was perfecting his gift in the field, there was a conversation being had about him in the king's palace. Somebody saw David. Here's my, here's my next point about faithfulness. You've got to work your gift like somebody is watching because somebody always is. You got to work your gift like somebody is watching because somebody always is. Shout out to Michael. It always feels like somebody's watching me. Somebody's always watching. What if David wasn't working his gift? What if David wasn't being excellent at his gift because, you know, he just decided to be lazy? When somebody saw him play the harp, they would have forgotten about him. But he made an impression because he was excellent. And so when it was time for the king to need a harp player, he got called to the palace of the king. There's conversations in heaven being had about us. God will cause the right eyes to get on you so the right opportunities can open for you if you will be faithful in your gift. Faithfulness is a key to being promoted to the palace. But in the body of Christ, you know, we'd rather, we'd rather have all the gear and no game. Like Pastor Brandon. But, you know, no, just to <laughs> as a basketball joke, you know. Actually, it reminds me of me when I was 18. When I was 18, my friend and I, we decided to go, to go on a ski trip. And I didn't know how to ski, but I went to the ski shop, and I got all the gear. I mean, I, I got it all in neon glowing stuff, right? So I got the neon purple ski mask and the, the neon purple ski uh, goggles and, and, and the neon, the neon uh, 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 yellow hat and the neon purple ski jacket with the neon uh, yellow stripes on it and the neon purple with, with yellow stripes, skinny tight. Uh, ski pants before skinny jeans were in, and, and I had I had all the gear. And if anybody looked at me on the ski slope, they would have said that must be one of the instructors right there. And that's kind of what I was going for. I'm like, man, I'm gonna look good doing this. You know what I'm saying? Like Pastor Brandy tried to do all this funny stuff in the basketball game, just trying to trying to look good. Sorry, but he really don't have that much game. Anyway, so anyway, I got, I got, I got on the ski slope, right? And I'm looking like, man, I'm looking like I, I definitely can ski. I couldn't get off that ski lift. <laughs> I, I kept trying. I'm like, what's wrong with this thing? This thing is broken, you know? And every time I tried to stand up off the ski lift, I'd fall down. And I went on the bunny slope, and I couldn't even go up and down the bunny slope. They were like, you want to go up on the big hill? I'm like, nah. 
all the gear, but no gain. You know what the problem is with a lot of Christians? They got all the gear. They know all the colloquialisms and all of the speech and all the hallelujahs and all the praise the Lord's and all the, the this, that, the other things, but they got no gain. And the reason why they got no game is because suddenly you get saved and you give your life to Jesus and suddenly the Holy Ghost becomes a, a replacement for perfecting our gifts and the Holy Ghost becomes a, re a replacement for being excellent at something and we use him as an excuse and the result of that is we never get promoted to the palace. But if you are going to be somebody who is a superhero for the cause of Christ, you've got to bring your game. You've got to have a little game. Not just in the church, but in the world. God expects us to step it up. Be excellent. There is an excellent spirit that lives on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit. And so faithfulness is one of the keys. But faithfulness is more than just showing up. Faithfulness is being prepared when you show up. Faithfulness is working your gift. Working your gift like somebody is watching you because somebody always is. Working it as on to the Lord, knowing that your labor to the Lord is never in vain. While you are working your gift, while you are perfecting your gift, God is getting the right eyes on you. And when the right eyes get on you, the right opportunities open for you. Give them something to look at that you can be proud of. Matter of fact, the Bible says it this way. It's a study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Here's what it means. If you don't work what God gives you, you will be embarrassed. That's what it means. Point blank. I remember this was one dude, and he used to show up to sing all the time. Show up to sing all the time, never knew the words. Great voice. Never knew the words. You know what I was like? Give him a couple weeks, try to get it, you know, straight and try to get it together. I mean, beautiful guy, great voice, so on and so forth. But always showed up unprepared. I'm like, bro, we can't, we can't be having that. Kish, I know you got a good voice, but if you ain't singing the words, you ain't using your gift right. So here's what you need to do. You need to show up with your A game. You need to show up for God better than you would show up for anything else. We've got to work it. Faithfulness is what gets us to the palace. Second thing I want to share with you is superheroes know who they are. Have you ever noticed that any superhero in any of the superhero movies does everything they can to hide their identity? Have you ever noticed that? Right? Superman goes out of his way to make sure that everybody thinks that he's Clark Kent. And I mean, he really goes out of his way because Superman is strong and tough and he's a man's man and all that kind of stuff. But Clark Kent is like a big nerd, right? And he goes, he goes out of his way to make sure that nobody knows he's Superman. And, and you know, and, and, and Bruce Wayne doesn't want anybody to know he's Batman. And Peter Parker doesn't want anybody to know he's Spider-Man. And Tony Stark doesn't want anybody to know he's Iron Man. And Bruce Banner is like, you won't like me when I'm mad. You know, everybody goes out of their way to make sure that nobody knows their true identity. Do you know why? Because it's good enough for them that they know who they are. In the body of Christ, we've got to get to a place where it's good enough that we know who we are in Christ. Because the enemy will always try to assign a faulty identity, an inferior identity to you to stop you from fulfilling your destiny. Everything can be boiled down to who are you? Who do you think you are? It's normally a bad question, isn't it? What's about who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? But as a Christian, Christian, you need to know who you are in Christ. The enemy will always try to assign an inferior identity to you to prevent you from fulfilling your destiny. As David rises to superhero status, 
This happens to him the whole way up. First, his father doesn't call him in in order to be anointed by Samuel. What is the message? The message is you don't have a king's identity. You, you, don't have, you don't have what it takes to be king. You're an illegitimate child. By the way, did you know that most scholars believe that David was an illegitimate child? In Psalm 51, verse number 5, David says this, I was shaped in iniquity, and my mother bore me in sin. Most scholars believe that he's talking about the fact that his father had an affair. I don't know if it's true or not, but if it is true, it kind of shows you why his father didn't call him into the lineup. Maybe his father thought, well, i got to hide this. But how many of you know what the world will try to hide because the world seems as insignificant? God will bring to the forefront. You are not a mistake. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. His father tried to assign an inferior identity. Then his brother he goes out to the battlefield, right, to bring his brother, if you've been here long enough, you know this by now, to bring his brother, brother's pizza. You all remember that? It's in the Bible. His father, Jesse, said, bring your brother some cheese and bread. And when you put cheese on bread, you get pizza. Right? And so he brings him to the battlefield to, to deliver some pizza, and he, he hears Goliath shooting off his mouth. And he says, I'll go out and fight Goliath. And Eliab, what does he try to do? Assign an inferior identity to him. Watch this. Verse number 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in your wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Notice the implied question that he's asking him. Who do you think you are? And notice he's answering the implied question. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying, you're just a kid. You're just a shepherd boy. You're an illegitimate child. You have wrong motives. I know why you've come down here. You can't possibly think that you're fit for this battle. What's he trying to do? Assign an inferior identity to David. Then notice he gets it from Saul. Finally, what happens is he goes before Saul, the volunteer, to fight Goliath. And remember that this is after he has been in the palace playing the harp. This is, he, he's played the harp for Saul so much, now all of a sudden he says, well, I need to go before the king, and I need to volunteer to go out and face Goliath. How many of you know God stacks experiences in our life? If David would have never been playing the harp for the king, I don't believe he would have had the courage to go before the king and volunteer to go out and fight Goliath. But because God takes all of our experiences and uses them in order for us to fulfill our destiny, David had been in the palace, so David said, I'll go and volunteer, and I'll ask Saul personally. Somebody is here right now. You don't understand how your experiences can come to bear in your destiny, but God will take all your experiences and use them to fulfill Fulfill his purpose for your life. And so David gets before Saul. He says, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And First Samuel 17, Saul says, you're not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him. For your youth, he's a man of war from his youth. What is Saul doing? He's asking the question, who do you think you are? <laughs> you really think that you can beat this guy? You really think that you're a warrior? You're just a kid. You're not capable. You're going you're gonna to lose in this fight. David, you can't, you can't, you can't, trying to assign an inferior identity. And then he gets before Goliath, and Goliath tries to assign an inferior identity to him. He looks at him, the Bible says, he disdains him because he was only a youth. He was ruddy, he was good looking, and, and he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with these sticks? 
And he said, this day I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. In other words, he looks at David and he asks this question, who do you think you are? You're just a kid. You're just a loser. You're still playing with toys. You're still wet behind the ears. You can't possibly do this. What is happening? The enemy is try to, trying to assign an inferior identity to David all the way on his rise to becoming a superhero. Because if the enemy can ever get you to see yourself in an inferior way, he can block you from achieving your destiny. What I love about David, though, is David knew who he was. David knew exactly who he was. When Samuel uh, came and Jesse didn't call him in, David said, the horn, the oil will validate me. When his brother criticized him, you know what the Bible says he did? Read it carefully when you get home. It says he turned his back on his brother. How many of you know that sometimes in life, in order for you to realize who you are, you need to turn your back on some people? There are some people in life who are trying to assign an inferior identity to you, and you know what you need to do? You need to be like, listen, talk to the hand. I don't have time. I don't have time to explain myself. I don't have time to make my motives clear. I know who I am, and me and God, we got an assignment that we have to do, and I'm satisfied with God knowing who I am. Sometimes you need to turn your back. David knew who he was when he went before Saul. He said, your servant has killed a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. I double-dog dare you to use the term uncircumcised Philistine this week. <laughs> Somebody start talking to smack, say, that's because you're an uncircumcised Philistine. They'd be like, what you talking about? It's better than cursing, ain't it? This is like the biblical way to curse, in case you all just can't get rid of it. Uncircumcised Philistine. Actually, what David is doing is David is recognizing that he's going up against somebody who doesn't have a covenant. You're uncircumcised. Circumcision was part of the covenant. David was saying, this, this fight is stacked in my favor. Oh, somebody needs to hear that. The fight is stacked in your favor because you have a covenant with Almighty God on your side. David knew who he was in Christ. David got before Goliath. He said, this day I'll strike you down. And I'm going to take your head from you. David was talking some smack. David should have been on smackdown. He, he's like, I'm going to take your head from you. See, why was the enemy trying so hard to assign an inferior identity to David? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It doesn't say as a man or a woman thinks in their head, so is he. It says as they think in their heart. Can I tell you, I believe that this is where most Christians get stuck because I bet you almost everybody in here, if I said, quote me five scriptures about who you are in Christ, mostly everybody could say, I'm the head and not the tail, blessed only and never beneath. Most people could say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Most people can quote it. But here's the question. Do you just know it here or do you get it here? As a man thinketh in his heart, as a person perceives themselves on the inside, not as they cognitively ascribe to something, not as they give mental assent to it, but as they have embraced it in their spirit. Because if we can ever get to the place where we truly see ourselves as king's kids, where we truly see ourselves as more than conquerors, where we truly see ourselves as the head and not the tail, 
well as when we truly see ourselves as anointed for the assignment, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, heirs and joint heirs with Christ, highly favored representatives of Christ, partners with God, masterpieces of the master creator. If we truly see ourselves as that way, we get it here on the inside. I'm telling you what, you will become unstoppable for God. You'll be a superhero for the kingdom. Here's what I need you to know. David, David saw himself like that. You need to see yourself like that because if you see yourself as unworthy, you will always accept second best. If you see yourself as dirty, you will always allow filth to be in your life. If you always see yourself as having to cope, you will always allow coping mechanisms that are unhealthy to come in your life. If you see yourself as average or below average, you will refuse to accept influential assignments. If you see yourself as a shepherd boy all the time, you will self-sabotage on your journey to become a king. You need to see yourself the right way. David saw himself the right way. Here's what I love about David. David didn't have good environmental factors around him, and he still knew who he was in Christ. Listen, listen, listen carefully. Our environment makes it more difficult or easier, either makes it easier or more difficult for us to have the right identity. I get it. I understand that. Let's not make light of that. Some people are more privileged when it comes to having a healthy self-image than other people. But, Here's the good news. The good news is no matter what your environment is, did you know that it is totally possible for you to have the right identity and for you to see yourself in the right light so that you can be everything that God has called you to be? Because David didn't have the right family environment. David didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks. David didn't have the right kind of people in his life. But guess what David did? David found out the secret to having the right identity. And it was spending time with Almighty God. I want to read you this little story. And I've asked Willie to be my helper here. Willie, come on. It's by Max Lucado. It's called You Are Special. And the star of the book is Punchinello. Willie, you should have known this by now. This is the third service, bro. <laughs> come on, man. Get us, get us to the first page. The secret to knowing who you are is spending time with God. That's it, number seven. There we go. Praise the Lord. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses. Others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats. Others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the same village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the street, all over the city, people spent their day sticking stars and dots on one another. That's prophetic right there, isn't it? All day, every day, up and down the city, people spent their day sticking stars and dots on one another. Come on, somebody give me an amen, because that's what's happening right now. Stars and dots. Up and down 
the streets all over the cities. People spent their days sticking stars and dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads and jump over tall boxes. Still, others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, could do little, and they got dots. Punchinello was one of those. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around him and give, it dot, give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so people would give him more dots. Then when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him even more dots. And after a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside, and he was afraid if he would do something dumb, that people would like forget his hat or, or step in water, that people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many great dots on him that some people would come up to him and give him dots because he had dots. <laughs> he deserves lots of dots. The wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had lots of dots that made him feel better about himself. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he had ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden, and her name was Lucia. It wasn't, the people, it, it wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up to her and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down and, uh, on her for having no stars, and so they would give her a big dot, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want any more marks, so he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day... I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in his workshop with him. Why? Why don't you find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the women who had no stickers turned and skipped away. But will he really want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear it. So Punchinello went home, and he sat near a window, and he watched the wooden people as they scurried around giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. He decided to go see Eli. He walked up and down the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was, and so he stretched on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench, and the hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here, and he turned to leave, and then he heard his name, Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong, and Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large-bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick said. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli tried. He, I, I tried really hard. And You don't have to defend yourself. You're my child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, you shouldn't either. Who, they, who are they to give you stars and dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello and put his hands 
on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very softly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Paganello never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day, I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who has no mark, said Punchinello. I know she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand, said Punchinello. Eli smiled. You will. But it'll take time. You've got lots of marks. For now, just come see me every day. And let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said, as the Wemmick walked out the door, you're special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. See, what I love about David is what this story teaches us. The story teaches us that it's what God thinks that really matters. And where we get our identity and where we get our assurance and where we learn who we are doesn't come from what people say about us. It doesn't come from stars and it doesn't come from stickers. And some of us, we, we want to get away from the dots, but we can't. But some of us love the stickers. And, and we should let the star stick or the, or the dot stick. Because if we let the star stick, what happens is we keep on doing what makes people happy. And sometimes God doesn't want us to do what makes people happy. And, and when we get addicted to the dots and when they keep putting the dots on us, we get so low that we can't possibly be what God has called us to be. And what I love about David is David always understood where he got his identity from, whether it be stars or dots. Matter of fact, there was one point David is now king and he's in the palace and they're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And David goes outside to meet the Ark of the Covenant. And he's so excited about the Ark of the Covenant coming in. The Ark of the Covenant was, you know, precious to them. It symbolized the presence of God. And the Bible says that David danced so hard before the Lord that his clothes dropped off. His wife was watching from the palace window, Saul's daughter, who David won when he defeated Goliath. Whole nother story about that. She, he came in the house, came in the palace. She looked at him and she said, I can't believe, and here's what she said. She said, I can't believe you're acting so base, B-A-S-E. I can't believe like you're acting like one of those regular folk. I can't believe that you're acting like one of them. You're not a shepherd boy anymore. Don't you understand that you are a king and kings don't act like that? You know what David said? And I'm going to paraphrase, but I'm going to get some of what he said. Here's what David said. He said, here's why I'm acting like that. Here's why I'm dancing like that. Because I'm dancing before the Lord. Because it's God who brought me to the place that I'm at right now. I was chosen to replace your father because of what God thought about me. And I'll act even more undignified than this. David knew who he was. David knew that his worth, David knew that his value, even when he was getting stars, came not from the stars and the accolades, not from the dots, but from what God said about him. God says you're a masterpiece. David always knew this. David goes before Saul, you remember it, convinces Saul to go out and Fight Goliath. You remember what Saul does? He says, here's my armor. Do you know what David said? 
It's, it's 1 Samuel 17, verse 39. David said this. He said, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. Amazing statement. In other words, I have not perfected your gifts. I can't go into battle with that which I haven't perfected. By the way, that's why every time that a battle comes your way, you shouldn't be throwing up a Hail Mary prayer. You should be throwing up a hallelujah prayer. It shouldn't be guesswork where the God's going to come in. You should have perfected your prayer in the little thing so that when the big things come, you know that you know that you know that God's going to come through. You can't just try it. You got to perfect it. You got to work that thing. Here's what David was saying. David was saying, this isn't me. These are yours. They're not mine. I, I can't be you, but I can be me. I can't be a version of you because God made you to be the best version of you, and God made me to be the best version of me, and I'm not going to try to be you because if I try to be you, I'm going to lose whenever the giants show up in my life. But if I'll just be faithful over who God has made me, and I'll just work my gifts, and I'll just go into battle with that which I've tested, then every single time I will slay my giant, and I will become everything that God has called me to be. This is me, and I'm happy with me. David knew who he was. And then I love it. David's about to go to the battlefield. And here's what it says. It says, then he took in his hand his staff, and he, he chose for himself these five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd bag and in a pouch which he had with him. And as his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And what I love about this text is it shows us that David knows who he was. Because I want you to notice he took his staff and his bag and his sling. He said, I'm going with my gifts. And then he went over to the brook, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, who is water in the Bible, right? And then he took five smooth stones, and stones are symbolic of Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the one on which we lean. And he chose not just one or two or three or four, but five, because five is the number of the Father's grace. And here's what David was saying. David was saying, I'm going into battle with who God has made me to be. I'm backed with the power of the Holy Spirit. My feet are on the firm foundation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've got the favor of God as a shield in my life. I know who I am. You've got to know who you are. See, the enemy will always try to assign an inferior identity to you in order to prevent you from walking in your destiny. But there's only one way in which you can get the right kind of identity, and that's to spend time at the craftsman's house, at the potter's house, the woodworker's house. You've got to spend time with him because, listen, this world is going to try to assign all sorts of identities to you. And if you don't go somewhere else, if you don't go to the one source and the one place to find out who you are, you will pick up an identity that God never intended for you to have. And when you pick up that identity that God has never intended for you to have, you will fall short of where God wants you to be in life. But when you know who you are. See, we need to understand that we are not inferior. We are children of God. We are not mistakes. We, you are a child of God. You are not incapable. You are a child of God. You are not dirty. You are a child of God. You are not a mistake. You are a child of God. You are not your past. You are a child of God. You are not your environment. You are a child of God. You are not what people say you are. You are a child of God. You are not the labels that people stick on you. You're a child of God. You're not their stars. You're a child of God. You're 
not their dots. You're a child of God. You're not what the enemy says about you. You're a child of God. You are not what the cycle of failure that is happening in your life says about you. You're a child of God. You are not an addiction. You're a child of God. You are not an abuse victim. You are a child of God. You are everything that God says about you. You are a child of Almighty God, a child of Almighty God.